online on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to a very special edition of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are coming to you live from our favourite pub in London. It is, of course, the horseshoe in the shadow uh, of the Shard. And there is a shadow because the sun has just come out. Uh, it is a little bit on the chilly side, but I didn't need to bring the big red coat out of the uh, closet because, in fact, it's not as hot as it was uh, the other day in uh, Westminster. We used to have to sit there absolutely shivering and wondering what was going on. We are here for an awful lot of reasons today. Kevin O'Sullivan joins me uh, for the whole show, three hours of it. We did it back in July. We're going to do it now because the pubs are not officially open until we officially open them and that's precisely what we're doing today. There's somebody, even as we speak, I believe, pouring me my first pint, uh, which I will very, very gladly use as a toast to Prince Philip, uh, the man who passed away, the husband of the Queen, 73 years married, uh, absolutely extraordinary life story that we've heard over the course of the weekend we will be talking about that but we will be talking about a great many other things as well Rupert Bell uh, is here with us to help us on the royal front but also he was up at the Grand National the weekend too we'll talk about that we want to hear from all of you of course because out there there are people going to the hairdressers there are people going to the gym there are people going shopping you can actually go into a shop today buy something put it in a bag take it home and open the bag Something that you couldn't do uh, for about the best part of the last 115 days. So here we are at Talk Radio bringing you the sunshine, bringing you the beers, bringing you uh, the opening up of Britain. Because this, ladies and gentlemen, is where it begins. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We're live streaming it on YouTube. Get on there and watch it as well. Here's to you. Here's to this country. And here's uh, to the opening of Britain. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Time to say a very good morning uh, to my cohort and partner, Mr. Kevin O'Sullivan, sitting here. You've got a scarf on, but it's not that cold, actually. It's, it's not bad, all is right. it? I mean, I was a bit disconcerted when I woke up this morning. It was actually snowing in London, uh, but uh, the weather's warming up now. Just uh, the uh, right conditions for a pint, I think. I think soon. so. Absolutely right. Now, we're talking about a great many things this morning. Obviously, we want to talk about what's happening uh, in politics. We want to talk about what's happening uh, in the, the cities and the towns of our country. There's obviously more people around this morning. Uh, you can tell people have gone back to work a bit more people are obviously working in the shops that are now able to open it's still not quite what we want is it you still have to wear a mask if you go into a shop you still have to do a bit of social distancing but it's a start isn't it after a long time it is and i'd like to raise a glass to the uh, regulars at the switch bar in newcastle yes who were queuing up last night as it were one minute past midnight into the pub that's garden. dedication that's you can't beat the geordies when it comes to drinking absolutely right now let's uh, welcome our first guest onto the show rupert bell a man who i don't think has actually slept for about four days, have you, Rupert? Welcome to uh, to Talk Radio's pub opening show. Uh, I'm deeply ple- pleased that soon I will have a drink. Oh, hang on a minute. So sooner than you think, I'm happy to say Davila has <laughs> just turned up with some beer. Excellent. Now, Davila brought us beer in July. Thank you, uh, Davila. Bringing us, thank you very much indeed. I've been waiting a long time to drink some of this stuff. Oh, you go. Cheers. cheers. <laughs> Here's to you. I'll tell you what. Here's one. To, uh, raise a glass to Prince Philip as well. Indeed. Um, indeed. A man who represented an awful lot of great things about this country. And as many people have pointed out, Rupert, a man... Uh, who, although he was not born British, actually epitomises Britain 
better perhaps than almost anyone. Uh, yes, he took on Cheers. the British. Uh, good health, um, one and all. And uh, here's a glass to oh, Prince Philip. Oh, that tastes good. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit wimpy. You I've only gone with the water. You but can stick your cappuccinos, I'll tell you that. Uh, anyway, um, enjoy, Mike. I, 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 while you down that, I could probably talk. How long does it take me? Do you need me to talk <laughs> before you to down it? And then I can... Listen, it's going to be a long day, Rupert. We're going to go slowly. We're going to be uh, sensible, as Boris Johnson has asked us yeah. to be. And uh, away we go. Pace yourself like Rachel exactly. Blackmore did in the Grand National. I mean, he and I are going out for dinner later, so I mean, it's going to be quite a long day. Oh, dear. Anyway, <laughs> um, but yes, it's been an interesting, uh, since Friday, um, I went home on Sunday, Saturday night, from, I drove home from Aintree, I said, hello, darling, goodbye, darling. Yes. Uh, and then came down here yesterday, and obviously, to, uh, and, things, and then I'm here today too, and I couldn't bypass the opportunity to come and spend... 10 o'clock in the cold. Yes. Let's come you. back to let's come back to the Grand National in yeah. a minute because that was in itself quite an historic occasion. Uh, milestone. Amazing. Amazing, milestone, right? yeah. But let's talk a bit about Prince Harry because as much as um, you know Prince Philip is the story, Prince Harry is now also the story. He flies into to London last night. Many people saying it's good that he's come back. He's gone into isolation. Um, he will be at the funeral. Lots of people are saying, look, it's not about him, but it is an awful lot about him because they, you, everyone's going to be watching him on Saturday. I'm afraid there's going to be no choice. We will be watching him, but I don't want him to be the story. I, I, whatever goes on, they can use this family time now to get behind closed doors, sort, just shoot the breeze, you know, reflect, which is going to be important, on a person that was loved by all members of the family, Harry in particular, so it's a time now to get a sense of value and, you, and just quietly get on with it. And then I don't want to hear anything anywhere from leaked stories from it. Just get on with it. And Harry, just to reconnect with his family, this is what bring, grief can bring people together and give a sense of perspective and just take the air out of the whole situation, which has clearly gathered momentum and just because it pulls apart, they're all do behaving differently. I'll tell you so this what, though, Rupert, I don't think helps this atmosphere. I, I, I completely agree with you. I hope the royal family can sort out their differences. Uh, but I'm still shocked by the perfunctory nature of the statement that the, that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex made. You know, uh, you will be greatly missed. That was basically uh, I must it. admit, when I read it, I went, oh, that, that's not quite what I was expecting. Mm. Something now, personal. I, it, you know, it, about your granddad. It, that was it. It was very corporate. Yes. Yeah. And really that, when you've seen what both uh, all the other, the, the Prince Philip's children have done, you know, uh, it's the first time we've seen Prince Andrew um, in a way in, in that situation, Prince Edward, uh, Prince Charles, they've all managed to really sort of reflect their, just as a son missing their dad yes yes exactly, exactly. Well, that's and, 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 and as, as somebody um, you know who's had grandparents mm -hmm. as most of us have had you can't imagine saying that about the passing uh, or the dying of one of your uh, grandparents and really. particularly you? thank when you, you for your service really well, you, well, no, <laughs> I, I mean I it, that is is brutal but then on the other hand you, when particularly when you see all the pictures of how clearly Harry did respect his grandfather and loved his grandfather. Yeah. And you can see it, you know, the pictures of them, you know, greeting each other with a kiss. Yeah. Um, you know, and do you think... Well, well, some people have said, look, here's the thing, in America you say thank you for your service to people who have been in the military. But I'm not buying that because that's the sign you put up outside the 7-Eleven uh, for people <laughs> who can come in in military uniform I, I, and it says thank you for your service, please accept a 20% discount. You know, that's not really 
the sort of thing I, we expect. Is I it? must admit, I was, I was slightly surprised by that, the brevity and the slight coldness of it. Yes. When I know that Harry, deep down, is a, a character, well, clearly is an emotional And he was character. very close to uh, Yeah, Philip, absolutely, he was very. And this is why, and I think was, you know, and every member of the family has talked about he was there for advice, and I'm pretty sure Harry would have been tapping into Philip's, well, 99 years of experience yeah. and a life lived to the full and, and, and a sense of real commitment to... And he, bearing in mind that Philip had no family early on, coming into this, you know, family, he suddenly felt comfortable. He didn't yeah. necessarily have an easy, always an easy relationship with uh, the Queen Mother, but they sorted that out, you know, you, and uh, it was... So he, but he was embraced by the family. So he had a sense of family... And then, obviously, a sense of duty above and beyond that as well. So I, I do hope Harry can then find it within him to actually deal with it and, and just say, right, you know, the mood and get the feeling of what the thought process in yes. this country is about the royal family. Well, this is the question I wanted to ask you, because the next question on everyone's lips really is what happens now? Does the Queen continue uh, without Philip as the Queen? Does she think about maybe next year she passes it to somebody else? And if so, who's that person? Never well, going to happen. Never, never going to happen. We don't do it in this country. It's primogeniture is the most important yeah. thing to royal families ever. Absolutely. Everywhere. Now, it, that's why... They'll you know never I'm never wrong about these they'll things. They'll never get it. They will anyone not. Ever told you no, you are wrong. Yeah, you're going to say well, she's going to abdicate. I didn't say she was going to abdicate, but if I decide that that's what I think she's going to do, I will say so. Oh, and yeah, I'll be she, right. But she won't do it. Well, she won't do it. She can't do what, it. What she's going to do, and quite rightly so, because she's well into her 90s, is take a... a won't go on the necessarily the state visits that'll be charged exactly but that's fine but she will still be the monarch mm. you know it is basically it sounds rather brut brutal but the way it works in this country the queen is dead long live the king yeah that's the way it works and has done historically from 1066 and all that okay let's talk briefly about the grand national quite an historic occasion one for the first <laughs> time um, by a woman on a horse, which is amazing in a way, because I mean there have been it's good female, shoes on a horse, female <laughs> jockeys, <laughs> female jockeys. Yeah, but I was I'm, I'm amazed at the way people react to this stuff. You know, there's been female jockeys on horse horseback for a long time. Exactly. And why, you know, why is it taking this long That's for one the to question. win? Uh, the because they just haven't had the horsepower. They've had the talent. When you look at some of the, uh, you know, we've, we've had the. It's just been given more chances. There was a time when ladies couldn't ride in a race. Yes. And racing, and it was a big deal. I remember in the 70s when that changed. And Charlotte Brew was the first in the Grand National. But I remember um, watching um, Muriel Tufnell win a race at Kempton, probably in 1973. It was given great, almost masses of TV exposure. Yeah. So I know that's 50 odd years ago, or whatever it is. The fact of the matter is. It is a seminal moment to win the biggest race yeah. in the world. Yeah, what now, does it mean for the, for her as a jockey? Does it mean that she'll suddenly get better rides now? More well, money? She's, get, she's getting all the good rides anyway. Yeah. For who she's riding for, this is the whole point. She's 31 and she's worked her way up through the ranks. She grabbed her chance at the top stable. She's on the good horses and she's just proving to be... A, once you get given the ammunition, in this case, great horses, she is good enough to compete. And that's what she's done now. She's not necessarily a natural communicator. All this fuss and bother will be, I don't know how to deal with this, because she's quite a shy, but clearly she, this has elevated her to a global status. Yes. When you think, you know, National Velvet, Elizabeth Taylor, a film, you know, that was back in the day. One for the teenagers. One for the teenagers. What, what I'm saying is, 
this is where it ha the race has a profile. Right. It, it, it and tell me this, what was the difference between this year and last year? Because last year it was a virtual race. This year they clearly decided it was all right to have the real race. What was the difference? Because racing's been going since June the 1st. Yes. So there's been no... Because the protocols... I've been racing uh, on a course since uh, July when I was allowed to go for the Derby meeting. It was the first time I went to a meeting. But racing has continued under sporting pro because it's actually a huge employment industry. Forget the sporting side of it. It does employ great swathes of the rural economy. Yeah. And the betting, you know, to keep the sport ticking over. And that's why it's been able to go. And we were there with owners. And actually, given what happened on Friday, the good people of Merseyside enjoy those entry three days like nothing else. Mm. And we have, you know, and then they party on. And it's, you know, and unfortunately certain papers will take photographs of ladies who've got over-refreshed and, and then will also take, uh, and, and a men. As in all the places. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, and, but so actually, yes. in many ways for entry, they didn't have to then deal with the PR fallout of that. If it happened on Friday at yep. 12 o'clock, suddenly you've got Ladies' Day at entry and suddenly you've got 50,000 people there and they announced, you know, how did you deal with it? Mm. So in actually way... It was to the advantage that they were able to just concentrate on the racing, do the two-minute signs without all the other PR yep. struggles that they would have had to deal with. So from a, I suppose from a point of view, racing was able to remember Prince Philip yep. in the right way. We had two-minute silence on Friday and again on Saturday. Owners were there uh, across, so there was quite, actually looked like half a decent crowd, but racing people were there to celebrate a wonderful moment on the track, but also because many of them I don't even know Prince Philip, mm. were able there to um, celebrate his uh, and remember his life sure. as well. And finally, Rupert, your brother, a uh, big man in the racing business, got a horse this afternoon? Yeah, he's got a horse running in the Queen's Colours called Spring Is Sprung. Okay. And it's running in the 140. Had a word with him this morning, and I wanted to know uh, what chance, and he said there's one to beat, Richard Hannon's horse, and I hope so. <laughs> Nobble the Hannon horse. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it doesn't yeah, mean that, obviously. Is this yeah. a tip, Rupert? Uh, I don't know whether it's a tip, but what I, I would hope um, that the Queen will be yeah, able to yeah. enjoy the race because uh, we know that this is her great love. And I know Michael, luckily enough, whenever he has a runner for her, um, able to talk to her, and she, you can sense her enthusiasm for racing. She loves to know every bit about the horse, and she will know that this horse is running. And I hope at 1.40 this afternoon she can watch it on, on telly and enjoy uh, yeah, and yeah. hopefully uh, a little bit of something to bring a smile to her That'd face terrific, that uh, a two-year-old uh, coming to win. So uh, fingers crossed. Good. Um, that's the news from my brother and I. One forty, I shall be watching. So if you hear a little cheer, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to buy you a drink because I think they might be free today. Actually, well, for they're us. Not, they're <laughs> not, no, absolutely not. They're part of the whole thing here. And uh, thank yeah. you, Rupert, for for that. Mid morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to a very special edition of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The sun has come out, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sitting here with Kevin O'Sullivan. He's got his sunglasses on. I've got my sunglasses on. And guess what? We're now going to talk to the man that made all of this possible right here. Uh, the man that runs the horseshoe. Uh, and he is, of course, a Breakspears pub. He is, of course, Peter Colley. Pete, how are you? Welcome to the Horseshoe. Thank you very much. Welcome indeed. back. This is our favourite. <laughs> it's this been is a while. <laughs> this is our favourite pub in London, right? Which is why we come here an awful lot. Uh, we love coming here because you look after everybody so well. Tell us about what it's been like, Peter, for you since the shutdown, which basically I think was December 18, wasn't it? Uh, it seems to be a, an awful long time. Yes, we've yeah. been shut for 
uh, over a year now, and we've had two weeks. I think we were open. We're open a little bit through the summer. Yeah. Um, and it's been pretty, uh, pretty hard actually. Pretty but hard. but none of that opening was was regular opening, if you like. It was wasn't. It? We were opening and then we were closing, opening and closing, right. and you know, it's ridiculous. And you had the old Scotch egg scenario, didn't you? Where at one point <laughs> you could only go to a pub if you were going to have a, a substantial meal. <laughs> I forgot. I that. mean, you know, they've made something like six. Uh, I think it's three hundred different rule changes over the course of the year in terms of what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do. I remember coming into the pub, I think back in December, after no- the November lockdown for a month, uh-huh. and I said to Pete, I can't remember what we're supposed to do. And he said, neither can I. <laughs> and a lot of people don't really know what the, what the rule's supposed to be now. We have no idea, to be honest with you. Yeah. We, we know we can sit out here. We know that no one can go inside and drink. Right. Um, we don't know, actually, about takeaways. Okay. People can have takeaways, but we don't know if they can come to the bar and order them, right. or whether they have to order them from outside. Maybe they're going to go up the street. We, or on we, an app we, or something. We really don't know. You can do it on an app, apparently, yeah. but we don't know if they can actually come to the bar, order a pint, and then clear off. And how much interference have you had from, from uh, you know, the, sort of the local councils? As we've seen in the last couple of days, up and down the country, different venues saying, you know, we, we complied with all of the, the rules that we thought we complied with. We've just been visited by the... Uh, the, the, the council people and they've said that we can't open because we don't suit their conditions and lots of different inconsistencies around the country. Well, it is inconsistent because we've had no problems at all with, with Southern Council. Right. have been very, very That's good. That's good. They, they've, they've supported us quite well. Yeah, excellent. And as far as what you're expecting then this week, um, I think you've got pretty much all the bookings that you can take, haven't you? We've got a lot of bookings, but unfortunately we're running out about a third of what we can have. So what do you we're not, certainly not going to make any money. What do you think, uh, Some councils, fortunately not Southwark, and uh, I'm not sure there's many around London, but around the country, some councils have ordained that to pubs with gardens, uh, if you're going to sit in the garden and have a pint, you have to wear a mask. <laughs> I mean, you know... Are you supposed to drink? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I could do mask? it. I could do it. It's the ugly like people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it'd be like... Um, it'd be a bit like waterboarding, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Drinking through a mask. It's sort of like you know, a small hole sure. with a well, sort of torture technique. That's what it is. It's been torture for us, so they're going to torture the customers But, I mean, now. to be mm. serious, Pete, I think this has been the problem throughout the, this lockdown year, is the rules have been so confusing. No one... Uh, quite knew where they stood. It must have been a nightmare for you. We don't have a clue. We really don't have the clue half the time. Half the time, we, we know most of the, the main rules, but then they can always come in and say, well, actually, you're breaking this rule. Uh, well, we didn't know about that rule. Well, guess what? You've, 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 that rule is, is there, and we're going to fine you. And just finally, uh, Pete, as far as preparing meals and buying in food and just buying in stock in general, how has that been for this particular day? For this one, all our suppliers have been absolutely brilliant. They know that we're going to reopen. Um, the kitchen was was there for the last three days, getting ready, uh, sorting everything out, doing the orders, um, getting prepared. And um, hopefully, fingers crossed, it's all going to be okay. It could could be a little bit of a problem. It certainly won't be like it was before we before we closed because it was a well old machine. Yeah, absolutely right. Pete Colley, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Landlord of the Horseshoe here. I can see some smoke uh, coming up from down there. I presume somebody's already cooking some stuff, which we might be getting our hands on a bit later on. My apologies to all of you up there in the frozen north uh, where there's snow and where you can't necessarily open. But let me tell you this. We will stay with you here uh, all the way through the afternoon at the Horseshoe with Talk thank Radio because it's much. opening Ooh. day uh, and we want you to enjoy it as, well. as much as we possibly can. Cheers. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Good morning and welcome to a very special edition of the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're in the shadow of the shard and I can say it's a shadow because the sun is actually shining. <laughs> I've taken my coat off, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I promise you that's as far as it's going to go. I'm not going to take the jacket off unless things really take a turn for the better. <laughs> Kevin O'Sullivan's here with me. Delighted to say as well, the queen of Talk Radio, Julie Hartley Brewer, has joined us. Are you going to open that little I'm, split I'm of waiting. champagne? I've been waiting yeah, I think to open you should. this. I think you should open it because look, the sun, even as we mention her name, the sun comes oh. out. Look at that. Yeah, that I love that. Okay. It's, it's a screw cap. It's, but just, like, it's, just, like, it's just like being on an easy jet flight. This is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> uh, if only we could go somewhere. Uh, that's Davila bringing us another drink. Thank you very much indeed. I've got oh. a pint here of the gravity, which I have to say tastes absolutely splendid in the sunshine. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, we raised a glass earlier to Prince Philip. We may as well do another yeah. one there. Uh, we're going to be talking about a great many things. The lockdown. What are you doing? Are you able to go out? Are you in a hairdresser's getting your hair done? Uh, we'll be talking through uh, until one o'clock. Ian Collins will be joining us and he's here all the way through the afternoon as well. It is open day, effectively. I know it's not what we all want, but it's a step in the right direction. And God, is it a step in the right direction. You're listening to Talk Radio. I'm Mike Graham. He's Kevin O'Sullivan. She's Julie Hartley Brewer. Uh, Enjoy. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. What an absolute delight. We don't get to share the stage very often. I'm (laughs) beginning to think we should do it more often. Oh, absolutely. You're my radio husband now. Yes, exactly. Well, cheers and happy open day to you. Oh, this tastes good. I mean, how long have we waited for this? About 115 days. And to be fair, given what time I get up, this is basically, you know, past the yard arm, 6pm. It is, absolutely. I mean, you'll be in bed soon, won't you? You'll be a couple couple of hours and you'll have to take a lie down. Sorry about that. Now, listen, you're wearing too many clothes. I don't mean that in a bad way. But Is that uh, what's going on you here? Know what? I, have so, I have so many layers on. At 4.30 this morning, I'm putting all the layers on, ready to go. I've got, I've got my husband's ski jacket. Yes. I've got my jacket. I've got, I've got another fleece and a polo neck. Yeah. And no, it's actually really lovely. The sun's come out. Yeah. Well, you know, the good are shined upon uh, by the gods, and that's all we can say. Oh. And have we not waited such a long time? And you have been one of the greatest advocates of business, uh, of, of people being sensible in government, what do you make of it all today? Well, this is the thing. You get all these people on social media saying, mm, you're just desperate to have a drink because you're a lush. Well, actually, I've probably worked in more pubs than, than yeah. I've done at God Drinking. The point is, this is a huge, huge, huge part of our economy and it's a huge it part of the community. A lot of these people who never go to a pub ever don't really understand it, especially in like local areas and villages as well. It's a really, really important community hub. It's very important for people who live alone, um, but also a huge employer. I mean, three million people employed in this yeah. industry, all the suppliers. Um, and I think people just don't understand what an important part of our economy um, these these the, these, uh, these pubs and restaurants are and the thing that really breaks my heart we were talking to Kate Nichols who's been a fantastic advocate yes. for the industry Hospitality UK CEO earlier this morning and she was pointing out you know 40% of pubs only are able to yeah. open because they, they just don't have outdoor mm. space and this glorious sunny roof garden lovely but yeah. most people don't have outside space and some local councils are being really difficult yes. in stopping people opening on the, the, the uh, street but even when they pubs do open uh, on the street or in their gardens, they can't break even. Yeah. So they've got massive debts from all the bounce-back loans. They've got to pay those back. They've been paying their staff on furlough, paying the rents, and they're still stuck, even with punters back in, not actually breaking even. So one thing I will say to people, when you do go to the pub or the restaurant or the bar, spend big, don't buy a half pint and then yeah. sit there for two hours. These right. people need your money. Exactly right. And it is, does feel, though, and I know people often have a game for being a bit too over-optimistic, um, but I balance that up with Mr. Pessimist here, <laughs> uh, who likes I'm to put... I'm here as a counterbalance. He's here as a counterbalance. <laughs> but, I mean, it does feel as though it's the beginning of something, doesn't it? I mean, as I was driving in today, I thought to myself, well, you can actually go to a shop now. And yeah. I know it's not ideal, and you have to wear a mask, but you can, you know, I want to buy a new jacket. I don't want to order it online, I want to try it on. 
uh, because obviously, you know... Are you going to be allowed to try it on, though? I think well, a lot of people know. have got out of the habit, haven't yeah. we? And the thing about this is I want to be optimistic about it. And a lot of this, of course, is sort of, um, you know, very much balanced with, of course, you know, the very sad news about the Duke of Edinburgh on yeah. Friday. And we're, not, we are officially a country in a nation of mourning, we're yeah. told. Um, but I think a lot of people want to sort of have a little bit of hope and optimism and say, OK, it's snowing in some parts. We've got the sun here today. But people want to be optimistic. But I do still think we need to hold on to the fact that we are still two and almost a half months away mm. from what Boris Johnson has called on the 21st of June a semblance of normality. No guarantee we're going to end the social distancing. No guarantee we're going to get rid of the masks. No guarantee we're not going to have these darn silly authoritarian vaccine passports. And, and bearing in mind, you know, we, we had seven deaths were reported in the entire country yeah. yesterday. Now, of course, it would be higher than that when we know about more deaths because weekends are always lower. But we're seeing virtually week on week like a 30% fall, 30% fall. You know, we've had a 90-odd percent fall since January. At what point do we just say... Can we get back to normal? When is sanity going to come back? And, and also, do you know what? Do not be grateful. If you are born a British citizen or you come to this country, you, you're a free person in a Western democracy, do not be grateful for being allowed to go to a sodding pub right. and to see your family outdoors. Yes. You shouldn't be grateful for rights that you already had. Mm. Can I ask you this, Judith? Today, hopefully, with people getting back to the pub, the country will start to get a different look. It will yes. start to look a little bit more like what we remember this great country to be. Uh, the government has spent an absolute fortune scaring the living daylights out of the whole population uh, with those adverts and those messages that they keep bombarding us with. Be careful, social wear your mask. Uh, and we have a problem because millions of people are now officially terrified. Is it time for the government to spend an equal amount of money recalibrating the national mindset to say we are getting back to normal? Yeah, Life is coming back. Absolutely. Well, there was alternative adverts weren't they that some campaign groups have you know look him in the eye and tell him you, you take yeah. your mask off you don't social distance well you know look a publican in the eye and tell them you don't mind the fact that they've lost <laughs> they've lost their business yeah. lost their home and their kids have had to move school you know look at look a child in the eye who's been stuck at home with a domestically abusive you know parent yes. for the last year or you, you know, look at the home in the eye who hasn't got mental health treatment or is dying of cancer i think we've got to get this in perspective 12 times as many people today will die of cancer than yeah. will die of covid yeah. and i know it's look, it's none of us have ever pretended this isn't a serious disease. We've been called every name under the sun, the COVID denier, all of that nonsense. Rubbish. I've had COVID myself. I was very ill with it. I know people who've died yeah. from it. I've been desperate to protect my family in their 70s. But I'm sorry, we need to get this in perspective. And we've been told again and again and again by the people in charge, we're going to have to learn to live with this virus. Well, my answer to them is when? Yes. I want to know when. When are we Good going question. to do that? When are we going to get back? If, if someone is too scared to go to the pub, go to a shop or mix with their family indoors, fine. You know, we should respect that. Live your life how you want to live your life. But you shouldn't have the right to stop other people exactly doing right. what they want to also, do. Also, you cast your, your eyes across the world. You look at what's going on in Texas. You look at Florida. Yep. I was looking at beach pictures from Fort Lauderdale mm. yesterday. I'm thinking... I mean, you do that all the time anyway. I do, yeah. Well, you know, I, I know Fort Lauderdale <laughs> well. Hobby. There's a couple of bars I'm still not allowed back into. Um, but look, the point is is that it's, 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 it's free in so many other parts of the world. And yet... Right? And yet the, 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 the uh, incidences of infection are going down. Well, this is the thing. We have every... You know, all these warnings. I mean, Sky and BBC had these people on yesterday. The usual doom and gloom 
Boomsters. Oh, oh, we're unlocking too fast. Yeah. Oh no, everyone's going to die. We're going to have a big surge in the summer. They're predicting sort of Brazil level of deaths. You yeah. know, injured after after 40 million people have had a jab here. For goodness' yeah. sake, it's insane. Bearing in mind, these people also predicted last year when we unlocked on July the fourth or went to the pub on an equally glorious, crisp but sunny day yeah. um, that the, we were going to have a surge in the summer. July and August, absolutely fine. Later in September, because it's a seasonal disease, respiratory yes. disease, we saw uh, an uptick. They also the same people who predicted that after March the 8th, when the secondary and the primary school kids went back, we'd have a, a, a big um, surge in cases then. We haven't. At what point do you stop listening to people who clearly haven't got a clue right. what they're doing? Their models were wrong first time round. They've been wrong second time round. They were wrong in November. They were wrong last year, and they've been wrong now. Why are we still listening I to know. these people? It's shocking. This, this, this uh, 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 the vaccine, I, I'm assuming, is well on the way to turning COVID into a non-fatal condition. The yep. danger I'm uh, predicting or fearing is that this government has lost track of what it is they're fighting and they'll continue to lock this country down to prevent people getting a few sniffles. Once it's a non-fatal yep. disease, well, the new we thing stop now, running from it. The new it, thing right? now is long COVID, yep. isn't it? Now yep. all these people have got long COVID. Well, when you ask them exactly how many there are, it's actually a very small number. They're counting people that have some diseases uh, that hang around inside them, but without really causing but they're any problems. But they're also largely people, and again, it's sort of self-diagnosis a lot of the time, but largely these are also people who have been seriously ill. They've been hospitalised. They've, they've you know, had major, major organ uh, trouble. On a technicality, you know, I've got long COVID because I still haven't got my, tense of, my sense of taste and smell right. back properly after mm. a, a, a and year and a bit. And you would be counted then if you said yeah. that. But I mean, I mean you know, I've got to be honest, there's a price worth paying for life. I, I can live with it. But this you is could drink cheap, cheap champagne I, now, I'm I'm a much matter. cheaper date now, yeah. Mike. This is a good thing. So seven deaths That's not a good thing. So if people aren't dying from it, what are we running from? But, I mean, this is the thing. But there are so many people still afraid, and that's what comes back to what you were saying, Mike. Oh, it's these adverts. They have frightened the living daylights out of people. I would love to see a survey. I want to see a poll done by, come on, one of your friendly billionaires who wants the world to unlock and who's got the money not to throw you, down Gov. the sofa. Not you, Gov. Someone who's actually, you know, getting something for accurate. Wait, I want to know. I want to have, like, ten questions about COVID and what the actual risks are to people and how many people have died and, and things like that. And then we'll ask people about whether we should unlock. I bet you the people who know the least about COVID, the, know the, the ones who think that sort of, you know, 7% of the population have died... <laughs> That those people are the ones who are most scared. The more you know about COVID, the, the less the less scared you are because you can look at the reasonable risks. Like, for instance, being outdoors, but also even indoors. Indoors, in your home, you can live with someone and, and, and have COVID and have fall in symptoms. You've only got a 38% chance, according to one study, mm. of actually passing it on to your loved ones. The idea that, you know, passing someone in a pub or a, or a yeah. shop is going to be dangerous to you well, is not. Isn't it becoming more and more clear now, looking at all of the things that we know, that most of the cases and most of the deaths happened in hospital, people who went into hospital either with it or didn't have it and got it while they were in there, yep. and then people who were discharged to care homes. It's very obvious that more than 85% of the deaths were caused in those two places. And they were very sadly, and it's not to say people in their 80s or 90s lives are not worthwhile, of course they're not. Many of us will have relatives in their age, and, and losing a grandparent or a parent at that age is just as tragic mm. as an inch. But um, nevertheless, we are talking about people who, who realistically were very frail and vulnerable. Many of them, I think on average, you're talking 83-year-olds with two serious underlying conditions. I mean, serious underlying conditions, usually already being yeah. treated for those conditions in hospital. If you are staying in hospital for 10 days and you get COVID, I mean, you're already someone who's very seriously unwell. That's not to say those lives don't matter. But realistically, we're talking about locking down a country, mm. locking down millions, particularly younger people as well, and children's education ruined, other people's health ruined. For, for perhaps giving people an extra couple of months or weeks of life in, in their final years. And 
I'm, I'm sorry to be ruthless, but when people say you can't put a price on life, that's that's not true. The, the government does that every day in all of their analyses. Yeah. When you decide whether a, a cancer drug is worth spending money on uh, in the health service, that we actually price up yeah. the value of someone's life. And we are looking at cutting people's lives. And it's not just livelihoods uh, or education. It is. We have made the country poorer by to the tune of, you know, hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions of pounds. And that will mean that we will have worse health outcomes. No country has ever delivered better longevity and better health to its nation and its people by getting poorer. And that's exactly what we've deliberately done as a national policy. And we are we haven't even touched the sides of the costs of this in terms of jobs, mm. education, damage to our, our society and damage to our nation's health. Let me ask you one final question. You had a great uh, set two with Grant Shapps at, uh, on Friday, which I very much enjoyed. And uh, he's apparently still not on the barricades yet because uh, we were nope. supposed to have a few Tory MPs here today, but uh, suddenly uh, Grant apparently the um, they got, they, I, think, I think they got asked not to look as if they were enjoying themselves too much. Yeah. So they're not coming. However, um, what's the story with Boris Johnson? Why do you think he's so frightened of Sage? Do you know what? Everyone says he got oh, he got his his fingers burnt last time round, but when we came out of the lockdown one, it was uh, it was too soon. Again, load of rubbish. We went in on March the twenty third and came out on July the fourth. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Right. And again, with no upsurging cases. The trouble is, I think he's lost his. I think Bojo's lost his mojo. Yeah. No question at all. I think he. I think fundamentally, this idea that he's this libertarian and he has all these beliefs. I don't really think he does believe anything. I think he's. I think he's very much been captured by Sage, by Witty and Valance. Also, I think this guy, Mike, Michael Gove, gets away with um, mm. a lot of this. His fingerprints Matt are on Hancock a lot of it, and Michael Gove, as far as I can gather from my contacts in government at a very high level, that they are deciding everything. There is no such thing as cabinet government anymore. No. If you're the cabinet minister for X, you don't get to decide the policy on X. Uh, it is it was Michael Gove, the Chancellor of the of Lancaster, and, and Matt Hancock who decide everything. Boris Johnson just gets sort of browbeaten to everything. Um, but that's not to make him a victim and you know he is the prime minister if you want to do this job you should do this job and you should own the decisions yeah. we followed italy followed china and the rest of europe followed italy we were we, we did, there was no cost benefit analysis for lockdown because they weren't planning to do it and then they got scared and and they scared the nation into going into lockdown and then the nation scared the government into keeping lockdown and I think I say I think an advertising campaign to give the facts and to get people out and about is well needed. But mm. I have to say I have I have never been more disappointed in a government, and I include Theresa May in Brexit now. But also, I, my, I love my country and I love my fellow citizens. But I am really really disappointed that so many British citizens have been willing to accept having so many of their fundamental rights taken away. And I don't yeah, just yeah. mean the right to go to the pub. I mean the right to visit your grandmother, right. the right to the right to go on a date if you're single and in your 20s. I really, really think that to have these fundamental rights taken away from us as free British citizens, I think we are going to be living with the consequences of that far longer than the consequences of COVID. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Julie, great to see you. Thank you so much you. for coming. Uh, enjoy the Prosecco. Oh, uh, yeah. Get some proper champagne down you as well because it's going to be a long day. <laughs> he and I are going for dinner later, so uh -oh. I don't know how that's going to get pretty messy as well.
the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Time to say welcome to Toby Young, one of the champions of uh, the uh, lockdown scepticism, I think we could say, Toby, and Calvin Robinson, a man uh, who's accused of racism, I think, more often than Tommy Robinson, but uh, quite an incredible situation. We're not related. Welcome to both of you. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Toby, um, you've been a great stalwart um, during this period. It's been very tough for an awful lot of people, and we've been saying today this is not just about going out and having a drink. It's about saving the economy, isn't it? It is. I mean, um, I would encourage as many people as possible to get out there, go to the pub, go to restaurants if they can, if they can get a table. Mm. Um, But it's ridiculous that we're still having to sit outside at pubs, cafes and restaurants. Why can we go into shops, go into gyms, go into hairdressers, but we can't go into pubs? What's the the scientific explanation for that? And, you know, um, The Spectator published a new table today comparing countries according to what percentage of people are infected now compared to how many were infected at their peak. Mm. And in the UK, we're, we're, at the, we're at the top of that table in terms of declining infections. Right. 97% decline since our peak in January. 95% of the over 65s have been vaccinated. Um, according to scientists at UCL, we've now achieved herd immunity. Today's the day. Today, today's the day we've yeah. achieved herd immunity. You know, Matt Hancock said when we reached this position, when we vaccinated the most vulnerable, which we now have, mm. we could cry freedom. This isn't freedom. I mean, it's a step in the right direction. It is. But we need to speed up. We need mm. to get pubs. We need to get restaurants open. Do you feel, Toby, I've been uh, banging this drum all morning, in fact, for weeks. Uh, what worries me about the attitude to pubs, you're quite right. They've been disproportionately demonised in our lockdown mania. Uh, and I heard a minister the other day, uh, Paul Scully, saying, "Ah, oh, well, you see, the, uh, the elephant in the room is when people drink, when they have alcohol, they start to behave irresponsibly. So what worries me about this is that the policy... That only works, of course, inside the House of Commons. Yeah. They behave terribly <laughs> irresponsibly yeah, at all times in yeah, the past. Absolutely. But the policy towards pubs... Uh, seems to uh, entail an uh, an element of kind of Victorian puritanism Uh, you know that alcohol is bad for you so they're they're kind of extending their remit in terms of uh, the way people are allowed to drink. I think a lot of the um, lockdown sentiment um, is rooted in a kind of puritanical streak an ugly puritanical streak which is always there in the British character. It's like Captain Mannering is constantly doing battle with Private Walker. And uh, and for the past 12 months, Captain Mannering has been in charge to all of our detriment. I mean, you're quite right. There was a great, very revealing moment when Jonathan Van Tam, uh, earlier this year, I think, at a Downing Street press conference, was talking about the risks of relaxing too much uh, as infections begin to decline and the vaccines are rolled out. And he said, we can't go back to bingo halls just yet. It was like bingo halls. I mean, talk about a Victorian conception of what ordinary people want to do when they're eventually released from their homes. Bingo halls. I mean, it was just, it was absolutely typical of that mindset. They see themselves as needing to protect the kind of great unwashed Mm. from their destructive impulses, whether it's going to pubs or to bingo halls. They don't know know what they're doing. I mean, Toby mentioned it, Calvin, the uh, the, the slavish uh, admission that they're doing everything according to the science. It's becoming more and more clear that an awful lot of what they've been doing has got nothing to do with science. Not at all. It's detrimental, isn't it? Let's not forget, just over a year ago, before the first lockdown, 
lockdown, when you first invited me onto this show, I was a school teacher. And what worries me is all of these young children that have missed out on a year of their education, yeah. a year of social development, mental development, uh, they've missed a year of their childhood, essentially, because of this faux science, mm. that, this pseudoscience that the government is pushing. It makes no sense to me. No. And now that the science is very clear, apparently they're not following you. You know, that's the bit that I find staggering. That You know, for years they've been saying to us, well, of course, you know, we must depress the virus, we must stop the NHS from becoming overwhelmed. It wasn't. You know, uh, Julie Hartley-Brewis put out a tweet, um, which I think she's pinned to her, to her, you know, we were saving Christmas, you know, back in November. Then we were saving January. Then we were saving Easter. Uh, now we're saving the summer. Meanwhile, we're sitting outside wearing coats, um, drinking beer. Well, some of us are. But, you know, it's, when are they going to wake up? Yeah, the, 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 the great claim, that the government have been making all along that they're just following the science. Our hands are tied. Yeah. We're just doing what we're told by mm. our scientific advisors. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a complete travesty of the truth. There is no such thing as the science. Right. Science is an ongoing debate and discussion. Right. People are constantly disagreeing. Um, you know, uh, research evidence emerges all the time. Uh, we don't yet still have a very clear picture of exactly how this virus operates, what causes it to increase, what causes it to decline. There is no such thing as a homogenous consensus about all these issues called the science. Right. But the government have done their best to suppress any dissenting voices, whether it's through using Ofcom to warn and, the and BBC you've, you've about... A, you've been a particular a victim of that as well, haven't you? Uh, well, I have, yeah. I've been, I've been demonised along with um, Carl Hennigan, the Professor of Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford, yeah. Shinetra Gupta, Professor of um, Theoretical Epidemiology at Oxford, scientists like uh, Jay Bhattacharya, uh, Martin Kuldorf at Harvard. All the signatories of the Great Barrington yes. Declaration have been demonised as uh, COVID deniers, mm. as people who put profit before people, as though they're being funded by these kind of shady Tory billionaires. Yeah. I mean, no attempt to smear them has been left undone in some cases by uh, quite senior MPs like Neil O'Brien. Neil O'Brien, I mean, well, yeah. He has no business trying to, you know, delegitimize scientists just because they challenge what the government would like to uh, pretend the mm. scientific consensus is. That's not how science should be done. No, it's also not how politics should be done, by the way. I mean, what on earth ever happened? And Julia was here earlier saying there is no such thing now as cabinet responsibility because unless you're in the gang, i.e. Michael Gove, Matt Hancock, Boris Johnson and whoever's in it this week, you ain't having a view that doesn't uh, that they don't like. No, unless you're in the quad, yeah. um, then you, you, don't, you don't get a say. Mm. Um, and uh, Parliament has been largely asleep yeah. over the past 12 months and it really needs to wake up and hold the government to account. I mean, one of the things I think which is really sinister about the way the government's behaved in the past 12 months is they've been completely uninhibited about making use of subliminal, sophisticated psychological techniques. Yes what we'd call brainwashing, yeah. Yeah. essentially, in order Behavioral to persuade them. And, and, they, and they say it's justified in order to persuade the general public to comply with social distancing guidance yeah. in order to protect them. But actually, if you're persuading the public that that all the guidance the government has issued is the right way to manage this pandemic, you're effectively saying you should support the government. Yeah. So they've used propaganda, mm. psychological techniques that shouldn't be used by a government to essentially manufacture consensus, manufacture consent for what the government is doing. That should be off the table. That shouldn't be allowed. Parliament needs to make sure that doesn't happen again. I mean, it comes to something, Colin, doesn't it, when you end up uh, siding with Sir Ed Davey and Caroline Lucas, who are sort of waving the flags of freedom. And I was going to go in last week, I was going, really? What, do I have to become a Lib Dem now? But thank God somebody's actually saying it. Well, they're saying it for now, aren't they? It's opportunistic. But 
the problem I have is that so many well-meaning, freedom-loving MPs, conservative MPs, have been kind of taken aback by this propaganda that Toby talks about and saying, okay, we'll stick with the government's line on this until this is met, until this condition is met. And then the goalpost kept getting shifted and shifted and shifted. And what we need to do... I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there's some more beer arriving. <laughs> Davila is here. Thank you, Davila. Now, Davila is, is a, a woman who works here at the Horseshoe. Uh, she's from um, Eastern Europe, Lithuania, Lithuania, I think she's from. Uh, this is a woman whose job depends on these places being open, and she's a great example, a shining example, of why we're sitting here and why this business needs to be back. Here, here. Can I ask you, uh, or both really, uh, I think the government's lying about vaccine passports. I think they are going to impose them. Uh, the big question, of course, is why, if we're getting towards herd immunity, or we've achieved it today, more and more people getting vaccinated, what is the point of the vaccine? Uh, why would we need vaccine passports if people can't, won't die of this condition? But it seems to me plans are well advanced, and once again, this government is uh, not being straight with the population. What do you think? I think you're absolutely Absolutely right, Kevin. Um, remember last week there was a We the Undersigned letter from various sporting pangendrums saying that if we're going to reopen stadiums, uh, allow fans back into big sporting events, we need uh, COVID certification, yeah. COVID status certificates. That's what they call yeah. vaccine passports. That letter had Downing Street's fingerprints all over it. There is actually a committee that DCMS has empowered to make a recommendation on this issue, and the committee is supposedly still weighing up the evidence. But the fact is, Downing Street pulled this letter together because they've already uh, anticipated. They've jumped the gun. They know what this. They, they, they're going to tell this committee what to recommend, and the recommendation is going to be for COVID status certification as a condition of entering football games uh, yeah. next season. And I season. see they've also uh, rolled out their mates in YouGov who've got a poll out today because the question that was asked, Calvin uh, and Toby, was would you accept vaccination passports if it meant that social distancing came to an end? Now, they don't publish that as the actual question. They just say, oh, look, 65% of people want there to be uh, COVID uh, vaccination passports. Well, that's not true. It's simply misleading and it's wrong and I think you gov quite frankly should be ashamed of themselves yeah like it's like the questions that were clearly asked through the lockdown uh, in order to save millions of lives would you support further lockdowns yes you know it's the questions uh, that get the right answers in terms of what the government's wanted all along I'm worried that persuasion is becoming coercion and we've reached a point now where all the vulnerable people in this country have been vaccinated uh, the, pe the people that account for 99% of COVID deaths have been vaccinated now so we should be opening up everything all of our freedoms should be restored from now and the next battle is making sure that this never ever happens again that the government never gets the opportunity to take our civil liberties away from us and in terms of uh, remembering uh, the central premise of this crisis it strikes me that this government going forward although we are now fast turning covid into a non-fatal condition it will be prepared to carry on running from an illness that won't kill anyone which is madness it is crazy um, and i think the the, the really awful thing about vaccine passports is that they're symptomatic of a sea change that has taken place in the past 12 months. The, the, the principle of common law in this country is that you should be permitted to do whatever you like unless it's explicitly prohibited by law. Mm. That's the underlying principle of common law, quite in contrast to the Napoleonic Code, uh, whereby you're not allowed to do anything unless it's explicitly permitted 
by the law. And we've somehow, even though Brexit took place amidst all of this, we've somehow embraced this continental principle that we should all essentially uh, wait for the government to give us permission, yes. wait for the state to say, oh yes, you can do that. And until they've given us that permission, stay at home, carrying under yeah. our beds. It's not British. It's not why I voted for Brexit. And I have to say, I'm going to throw many of my media colleagues under the bus on this one, guys, because uh, the number of times you'd see the likes of Beth Rigby asking why she couldn't sunbathe on a Sunday when she could on a Monday, or you know whether she could hug her mother, or whether she could go out. I mean, obviously, she didn't ask everybody that question. Um, but the point is, is that you know we don't wish to be given permission to do things, as you say. But so many people now in this country think they have to ask. Well, I think this is bang on the money. So let's stop waiting for people to give us our freedoms back. Let's open our shops, yeah. open our pubs. Let's go out and about meet our friends. Mm. They can't lock us all up, can they? Well, they yeah. can't. That's I exactly mean, watching, right. Watching Be Beth Rigby ask uh, in those number 10 bre briefing sessions about COVID rules is like watching irony dying, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it, those, those Downing Street press conferences and particularly the Q&As after the uh, just really <laughs> depressing. And, 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 also, and, don't you love the fact that they go to members of the public yeah. who hey, certainly the, haven't <laughs> been vetted in any way uh, yeah. or set <laughs> up we've in we've any got way? Spare shape 20 or minutes. Form. Let's go to Robert Peston. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shouldn't you have locked down earlier, Prime Minister? I once, you know, I once um, was in the car, right, driving around, and Peston came on with his question. And somebody called me, right, and I was on the phone for 10 minutes. And when I went back to the radio, he was still on. And I'm going, it's still the question. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't even had the first He's question answered yet. Yeah. But listen, let me finish, guys, with a quick question about the BBC. They managed to get it spectacularly wrong again uh, this weekend by not only um, giving up all uh, channels to one subject, but by just thinking, oh, if we do this, maybe everyone will think we're patriotic. Same program, same programs <laughs> on two channels, but BBC Four completely cancelled, Radio One and Radio Two playing sombre music. Now, we, of course, as a nation, should have marked and continued to mark the death of a great man, the Duke of Edinburgh. The BBC, uh, in its time-honoured fashion, just got it wrong. Kevin, at least when the BBC kicks the bucket, which surely can't be long now. We won't have to watch wall-to-wall 24-7 coverage yeah. about the demise of the BBC on the BBC. <laughs> Those were the days. Wonderful stuff. Guys, thank you so much for coming down. Cover Robinson, Toby Young. I'm sure we'll be seeing you on Talk Radio very soon uh, once again, uh, talking great deals of common sense, because that's what we do here at Talk Radio. We talk common sense with the home of common sense. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. I'm delighted to say Dawn Neeson has now uh, joined us as well. Dawn, great good to afternoon. see you. Put yes, a touch of glamour to the uh, Thank to you the very proceedings. much. Now, I've got some good news for you as well. You can like this. Right? Oh, go on. Do you know what they've said now in the government? they said all over 40s can now get the vaccine. So Is now it, you're that in. That doesn't... That, she's I, I, not over 40. You're no, not I've over 40. You're like that. How very dare you? Yes. <laughs> be careful. Be very careful. <laughs> 39 and holding. Very much so. Well, listen, maybe <laughs> next time years. then. Maybe next time. Listen, great to see you. The sun's out, right? Um, it shines on the on the virtuous, as you well know. It stopped shining on me for some reason. I, I don't know why say. that is. It sort of moved over to that side. I might have to move over here, but not too close. Um, this is a big day, I think, for an awful lot of people. This is brilliant, Mike, and it's lovely to be here. And, I, you know, th there's more to pubs than having a drink, obviously. Um, it's the whole social thing. Yeah, it's the mental health thing. Yeah. It's, it's just that whole getting back to normality. It's not normal, and yeah. it should be normal, to be honest It feels pretty you. normal to me, it to be is, honest. It is. <laughs> I mean, I took the first sip of that beer at 10 o'clock this morning, and I went, wow. 
That's great. That is, there's nothing else. There is nothing else like a, a pint, pint of in beer a pub. From, a from, a pub. from a cat, from a from a, a cask. This underneath is this in the is basement. the difference, isn't it? I mean, it's not like you know we haven't been drinking at home, and you know most of us have carried on drinking. A lot, not much. Nothing, no, 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 no perish the any. thought. <laughs> perish the thought. Hardly any. But if there was nothing Another like a case coming this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> in a pub. Finished this morning's case. Oh dear lord! Yeah, and that was go, before yeah. ten o'clock. Yeah, I'm here. Okay, fine. So yeah, but there's nothing like. Going to a pub with your friends, having a pint, exactly. it's just not the same at no. home. It really isn't. No. And I mean, life has changed for so many people. I mean, you guys are both football fans, you know. Um, you haven't been able to go and watch your team play. If you are able to go, probably it's going to be a long time before you can be surrounded by other people. If you look across to America, you see baseball games in Texas rammed with people. That's Aussie rules football down in Sydney. I mean, you must really want to do that. Absolutely. And I'm sure Kev feels the same. Well, maybe not Kev with Fulham, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, um, Thank God we haven't been able to watch my team over the past year. <laughs> but this is where it's not going to work. I mean, sort of like, you know, socially distancing, having to wear masks. That's not football. And, and as for having to have a passport to go to the pub, the people saying that have obviously never been to a football pub before and after a game well, because it's just not going to happen. Well, look at uh, what you pointed this out the other day, Mike. Uh, Texas. Uh, Texas uh, has defied Joe Biden yes. and just said, we're not locking down anymore. No more masks. Back to normal. It's, it's uh, their death rate is next to nothing and falling. And the other day, uh, they had a, fu- a fully packed out game of baseball. Yes. Massive stadium, full, and still their death rates keep going down. So we could open up the football grounds, I'm pretty certain now, with no adverse effects. Well, most of the vulnerable have been vaccinated, um, and a lot of people have had it. So in theory, we reached herd immunity on Monday. Yes. So why are we still now having to wait until right. June? Well, we were talking to Toby Young about this, you know, the whole vaccine passport idea. It's partially being fueled by the industries as well, because a lot of them, we spoke to Harvey Goldsmith, big promoter, you know, he's keen to get concerts back on. But I think they're in the wrong to say that we need to get people proving that they're somehow clean in order to go and see a band. Because in the end, I mean, part of the whole business of going to concerts, going to festivals, going to, I mean, maybe the theatres are slightly different, is that you're going to a mass event to sit with people that you don't know because an audience is a great thing to be in. Of course it is, right? especially gigs where you're jumping up and down, yeah. you're having a dance, you're having a laugh. It just does not make sense. And I just really think now a lot of people, I know I certainly am, I'm thinking I've done with it. I just want to go back to normal. And now what we're talking about, if we went to a a football match or a concert, we're talking about the possibility that you might get a condition, an illness that won't kill you. Mm. uh, We can't run away from a non-fatal condition. Well, I did mention this the other day, that you know people went to Glastonbury two years ago. I'm pretty sure some of them came back with something they didn't have (laughs) when they went. (laughs) And that may have been as a result of their interaction with somebody they didn't know. I mean, what are you going to do? Start giving people a questionnaire to answer and fill out before you kiss them? But the the thing is, well, I mean, yeah, I know, Mike, we do that in any case but uh, you know the thing is it's it's like especially in East London (laughs) (laughs) but the thing is you know joking aside with with sort of vaccine passports where does it stop with your health conditions I mean you know if you have for example a sexually transmitted disease Mm. or you know we all remember back in the 80s with the the old HIV AIDS Mm. pandemic you know there was a lot of stigma around Mm. that and it's like well if you have to have a passport to prove your sexual health your mental health your physical health it's it's opening it's not British is it it's a very slippery well I've said this before you could be standing in the pub next to somebody who's going to steal your wife's handbag you know it doesn't mean you don't want them in there it would be nice if they could keep criminals out of pubs but that's not the way we live no exactly Exactly, and I, I think it's it's that no, most people we just want to get back to normal, and I do not understand. And I've said it time and time again. 
why we are waiting till June to do that. And, you know, this is lovely. This is a brilliant pub. We're sitting on the roof terrace. It's beautiful. All very, very secure and safe. But we've got to think of all the pubs that aren't able to open today. They've not got roof terraces, they've not gardens. 60% so, and, and a lot of these will never be opening again. Yeah, I mean, exactly. our local pub in, in sort of like, you know, the East End, that's had to close because they just couldn't keep going. Yeah. It was a small local pub and it was the sort of like, you know, the old boys that would go in there and nurse a half a, a palal or whatever. And, you know, they've lost that. They've lost that sense of community. Yeah. A lot of them are on their own. They live in a small flat. They've lost that pub. That pub will never come back yeah. now. And this is what this government have not thought about. And this is what we now need, I think, to hear from them. What's the, now, what's the new plan? What's the plan to get everybody back into London, into Manchester, into Sheffield, into Glasgow, into Birmingham? You know, what's the plan for that? Well, they do not have a plan, Mike. And you, but you know what really annoys me? We, sadly, we lost Nicky Graham from Big Brother this weekend, yeah. someone that I work with quite closely. Obviously, he's worked covering the show an awful lot. And it was like, you know, her own mum went on there and said, like, lockdown and the closing of gyms helped her sort of like you know she felt so isolated she felt so cut off from everybody it didn't help her mental illness in any way shape or form so you know Nikki's death really partly she'd been very ill for a long time but the government are not considering people's mental health in this eating disorders loneliness I mean you know traumatised kids a generation of traumatised kids why are we now a condition where it's death trumps well, they're now, telling, they're now telling our children, you better wear a mask when you come back from Easter holiday. It's just like, you know, you know what broke my heart was watching the Grand National at the weekend and, and jockeys wearing masks to walk round on their own with a horse. Right. Why are you wearing a mask? I know. Why are people sitting in the stands on you their own? What broke my heart wearing a mask? I put, put my money on the wrong horse. Yeah, yeah. so did I. I should have bet on, should have bet on the female. I actually <laughs> did all right at the, uh, the weekend. Have done. I know. I don't want to do any gloating, obviously. That would be wrong. Did you win? Uh, I didn't win, but one of the members of my family did. Okay. But I can't say which one because uh, he's not really supposed to have a bet. Right. Never mind. Uh, he's not the one that's here, though. That's not that's not true. Ian Collins has just arrived as well. As if you couldn't get any more star-studded uh, out here on the balcony uh, of the horseshoe. Cut run smoke, of thunder. Smoke rising from the kitchen there. They're producing some scotch eggs, some substantial meals. <laughs> it's all going to be great fun. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.